And so, Father, we come before you this morning and we're mindful, ever so mindful of folks here in our midst, maybe all of us in different degrees, but some of us with intensity, who uh, feel as though that there's some evil we've received in our lives. We don't know all of the reasons. We don't know how bad it's going to get, and we don't know the timing of it, but you do. And so we pray for help this morning. I'm mindful especially of that one who, like Job in this passage, has pain in their bodies. And I pray you'd help them especially today. And so we commit this time of reflection to you and ask that you change us as we meet with you and meet together to worship your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, I think at some point all this suffering takes place and, and you, you might be a sufferer as well. I think all of us at some level are, are sufferers. It's really important that we don't compare our suffering to one another. Because the reality is we all suffer at some level. We have some suffering going on. And we all might be inclined at some point to say, well, what's the point? What is the point of all of this? Why am I suffering the way that I'm suffering? One answer that I really appreciate that, R.C. Sproul was asked, you know, somebody asked him, what's the point of this whole Christian life thing? And he used the phrase, some of you probably know the phrase, it's, it's quorum deo. His answer to the question was this, uh, quorum deo means, it's a Latin phrase, which means before the face of God. That's how we are to live in this world. Not, not waiting for heaven to be in the Lord's presence, but understanding that here on the earth, all of our life is lived under the watch care and before the Lord. There's a word in the Older Testament, lifne, and that word just means Cormdale, before the presence of the Lord, in the presence of the Lord, before the face of the Lord. What's the big idea of the Christian life? The phrase Cormdale literally refers to something that takes place in the presence of or before the face of God. To live Cormdale is to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God to the glory of God. To live in the presence of God is to understand that whatever you are, whatever we are doing and wherever we are doing it, we are acting, you're acting, under the gaze of the sovereign Lord. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere. And there's no place so remote that we can escape from his penetrating gaze. And to be aware of the presence of God is to be acutely aware of his sovereignty. Living under divine sovereignty involves more than a reluctant submission to sheer sovereignty that's motivated out of fear and punishment. It involves recognizing that there is no higher goal than offering honor to God. And we might even tie this concept back to John chapter 17 and verse 3 where John says, this is salvation, that you would know God, that you would have intimate relationship with God, that you would live your life in suffering and in blessing 
before the face of God. Coram Deo. That's what we're called to do. Now, in Job chapter 2, Satan comes before the Lord, and it's, it's put forth here as this interplay between God and Satan, as if Satan is saying, look, he, Job, passed the first test, but, and now I'm putting words in his mouth, but you get the idea. I'm banking on the idea. We almost would say, I'm betting, Satan would say, I'm betting that if the, the troubles get worse, it's just a matter of time before rather than continuing to live life in the presence of the Lord, rather than living quorum Deo, I'm, I'm betting you that there's a breaking point, Satan would say, at which time Job will turn on you, hold his fist up to you, and rather than live his life in the presence of the Lord, he will curse you to your face. Not obedient to the face of God, rebellious to the face of God. And so that's what we have here, is that Satan is, is telling God that he believes that there is a time at which, a breaking point, point at, a time at which that uh, ultimately Job will curse God to his face rather than to bless God to his face. And so here, you and I are seeing there are days of increased suffering. We don't know all the reasons for that, but there's no doubt that chapter 2, the end of the introduction to Job, is is definitely hitting on this theme. And so here we go. If you take notes, uh, in the day of increased suffering, note this, that the Lord is sovereign over the testing of his servants. Verses 1 and 2 and 3, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves. Not sure how long it's been from the first day. How long has it been since he lost everything? We aren't told specifically. But here's what we can ascertain from that. God's sovereign over timing. God called the the meeting in heaven together. God's sovereign over the... If you feel like when it rains, it pours... If you feel as though the the suffering you've been going through, it it should have reached its pinnacle, but now somehow, somehow, it's getting worse. God is sovereign over the timing of your increased suffering. Doesn't come as a surprise to him. And so the timing is of the, the Lord. There was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came uh, to present himself before the Lord. And and I am so, I hope you're really encouraged by the fact that uh, all the powers that would try to mess with you, all the powers of the world that would try to increase and make a, uh, increase your suffering and make a problem for you, they, they are all subservient. They all have to go into the presence of the Lord to present themselves for formal evaluation. God is sovereign over the powers of the universe, all of them. And so before we continue to move down this road, can I just say that that to prepare ourselves for that day of suffering, do you note a few things that Job has done to get ready for the day? Note that uh, chapter 2 in verse 3 is almost verbatim 
from chapter 1 and verse 1. So let me just say this, in the, the day of like normative blessing, the Lord, uh, uh, excuse me, Job is living quorum Deo before the face of God. He has his normal issues he's going through. Remember chapter 1? Here's a normal issue, and it sounds like, well, you know, things are going really well for Job, and he should just, you know, he's the greatest of the East, and he's got all of this uh, possessions, he's wealthy, and he's got the ability to make money, but if you'll note in chapter one, he doesn't have what some of us don't have, or some of you maybe don't have, he has, he has these 10 children who have parties on their birthdays and invite all of the siblings and seemingly do not include either Job or his wife. That hurts. I think we should be honest about that. Some pain relationally in Job's life. Now, that notwithstanding, in the day of what I'll call some, some normative trouble, but it's a day of normative blessing. Job still sees what he has from the Lord. And rather than take for granted all that we would say in chapter 1 were just this blessing, he doesn't just bank his life that that's going to always be there. He just doesn't say, well, well, I deserve this. I'm the greatest of the East. He doesn't just say this is the normal way that Americans live. Everyone's entitled to A and B and C. He doesn't do that. In the day, his normative day of living, with blessings around him, he, he gets up early, seemingly by himself, when no one is looking except he's before the face of God, Coram Deo, and he makes sacrifices for his children who discluded him. He goes before the Lord. He spends time in prayer. He doesn't take for granted that he should just get stuff because everybody has stuff. He, he prepares for the coming day of increased suffering in the earlier days of realized blessing. Do you do that? Hey, look, all of us live with a little tension point between blessing and cursing. All of us live with a little tension point between things are going well and things are not going well. Nobody here is without suffering. But some of us have less suffering than others. And we could argue that some of us have more blessing than others. That's not the issue. The issue is, in the day, whether there's much or little blessing, are we seeking the Lord? Are we living that Coram Deo kind of life? Sometimes with heavy hearts. And, and Job was getting ready for the day of increased suffering in his day of blessing. He was preparing. Uh, secondly, he has this perspective, which we talked about a couple weeks ago, but I think we have to really underscore it before we move ahead in chapter 2. That... Uh, this perspective that he didn't deserve, as we've already talked about that, rather than focusing on the, 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 all the stuff that he should have or, or could have from the Lord, even at the end of chapter 1, when all of the, the uh, difficulties had come and many of the blessings had been removed, what comes out of his mouth is not, why did the Lord remove everything? What comes out of his mouth in that day of suffering is uh, naked I came into this world and naked I will go out. And he, in essence, emphasizes, I still have from the Lord everything I came into this world with. I have a body. 
You're going to see that Satan attacks that in just a minute. I still have the Lord. He's my king. He's my sovereign one. And so Satan has this preparation in the day of blessing, and he has a perspective even in the day of suffering that the Lord has given him all that he has. And he says the Lord takes, the Lord gives. The Lord gives and he takes. We're going to see that he says something a little different than that at the end of chapter 2. But at the end of chapter 1, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So with all that said, we're now back again in chapter 2. We see that God is sovereign. He is sovereign over the testing of his servants. And can I just really encourage you that that's a good place to start your every day? Is that where you start? Start your every day. Maybe even have this courtroom scene in heaven and certainly the universe in mind. You have your Bible open in front of you. You're going before the Lord, thinking through who he is. And first things first in your day, start every day here. God is completely sovereign. He is completely in charge of the universe that you're going to live in today. Nothing is outside of his purview. Nothing is outside of what he wants to accomplish. Nothing. Not something that happens a little later in the day. Not when the telephone rings and it's the doctor. Not when the text doesn't come through you've been waiting for from your daughter. Not when the the neighbor backs into your car in the morning. There's there's nothing in the universe that you're going to face today or tomorrow or any day that God is not completely sovereign over. He is the God of the universe. Note that even the powers that would mess with you have to present themselves for evaluation to the Lord. Note that it's the Lord that takes initiative in questioning Satan and what his intentions are and what he's up to. Verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now, As the Lord is sovereign over what's going on in your life, go back to Job chapter 2, verse 3 often. Because it's as if the the sovereign Lord is saying to Satan, I've considered my servants today. I'm ready for this. I've looked at their degree of suffering. I know what they've been going through. I am intimately involved with their situation. So the opinion or the uh, evaluation of the Lord over you, and certainly over Job in this situation in heaven, the Lord announces that all that he sees in Job, which is praiseworthy, he talks about his character and what's been happening in his, in his heart. He's blameless and upright. And again, we can compare, compare that to chapter 1 and verse 1. He fears God and he turns away from evil. Do you see that? And then he comes on to this next, the next point that's a new statement that God is making. It's almost as if as we are ramping up this sort of, this sort of uh, I don't want to call it a contest, but, I, but I, I do think it's included in Job to show us that God was putting Job in a unique way on display. Incidentally, let me just say this. He, he's not normally going to put your life on display to prove a point. Normally, when you walk after the ways of the Lord, 
he, he is going to bless you. you. You tell the truth, and there's blessing in that. You have peace in your heart because you know he's sovereign. You love the people around you because he is love, right? And the normal thing that we see is that God blesses the life devoted to him. In this case, we're seeing that uh, and the Job's life is put on display almost as a, uh, a statement to Satan that his servant will endure. And so we see that again in verse 3 where the next phrase is a new phrase that God uses to describe Job. He still holds fast his integrity. Well, Satan, you told me you thought that it, you thought that if uh, I removed all the blessing, that he would come before the face of God and curse me. And I am telling you, Satan, God is saying here in this text that when the blessings were all gone, he continued to live his life, Coram Deo, in the face of God. Do you? Because that's the lesson we want to take from Job. He's the extreme, but we can apply the lessons we see in Job to our lives. The, the concept of still holds fast is a profound concept. Do you ever feel like, you know, look, man, it's, I'm suffering, and the suffering's getting worse, and when it rains, it pours, and, and you just feel sometimes like, I can't hold on much longer. I don't know how much more of this I can take. And you're in that place where you just think, I'm, I'm out of gas. Another, another, you know, straw on the camel's back, God, Really? Is that what you're going to be about today? We get ourselves in that scenario, but, but when God says to Satan, he still holds fast to his integrity, that the words there say, he's holding on with all that he has, and at the end of the trial, he's holding on stronger than he's ever held on before. He's not, his grip isn't weakening. He isn't coming to the point where he's almost letting go. And in fact, quite the opposite is true. Job has, has proven to himself and he has shown Satan and, and he is uh, coming to the word of God in such a way that as he holds on to the promises of God and he holds on to the help that comes from the Lord, his grip on his integrity, that is to, to be consistent in his identity, to living his life in the, in the face of God, that his grip on that is stronger than it's ever been as he endures the trial. There's almost this announcement that comes at the end of a, a, or a chapter break in the trials, and it's an announcement to you that God is sufficient. And it's a, an, an announcement to Satan that he is not going to draw the servants of the Lord away to curse the face of God, in the face of God. But instead, they are going to continue, we are going to continue to live faithfully before the face of God together. Job's grip upon his integrity was shown to be strong and strengthening. He has held to his integrity, and he has held on even beyond expectation, clinging to his integrity, and it's resulted in a stronger grip. Friends, if you're here today and you're saying, I can't hold on much longer, two, th two things I want to encourage you. 
you're among friends. You're among friends. All of us have been in a place where we have thought, and maybe today there's many people in this room who feel like, I can't hold on much longer. And can I, can I, I'm here to tell you that this points to the suffering of Jesus Christ and it, it points to the fact that his suffering for sin was paid once for all and it's pointing to the fact that today we have the privilege of walking in the spirit and it's pointing to the fact that, that the help that comes from heaven uh, is, is a help of being known by God but it's also a real help as we devote ourselves to the, the word of God. It's a real help that comes by the very power of the spirit. And friends, as you hold on, God is holding on to you. And we together want to hold on to you. And as you come to a chapter break in the suffering of your life, holding on to your integrity, it gets stronger by God's grace, not weaker. So Satan increases the suffering. Now as we continue on, Satan answered, verse 4, skin for skin. All that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. We're right straight back there where Satan just thinks this is what is going to happen. Blessings get removed. The people of God get unfaithful, and they curse God to his face, right? And so um, he's in essence saying here, these, these words are saying, look, in chapter one, you took away all his stuff and all his money and even all his kids. But at the end of the day, people don't love. They don't love others. They only love themselves. Job loves his flesh. He wants to preserve his life. If you start messing with Job's health and Job's body, that will be the breaking point, thinks Satan and the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand, only spare his life. And do you see, even in the court scene of heaven, when God gives influence to Satan, oh yes, he is sovereign over it. Do you see what he says there in the last phrase? Spare his life. Listen, however much you suffer today, Satan is not in charge of your suffering. God is not disinterested in your suffering. He is keeping close tabs on you. You are his servant and he loves you. And he sees what you're going through. Might he have purposes in your suffering you don't understand? Absolutely. There are so many times, guys, when, and in this passage, it's so interesting to see that Job isn't privy to the courtroom conversations. He just knows bad has gone to worse. And he is holding on to his faith, and he's holding on to his God, who is holding on. To him. And so as we continue through this first concept, we, we get the idea here, of course, in the day of increased suffering, the Lord is sovereign. He is sovereign over the, the universal forces. He is sovereign over his suffering saints. He's sovereign over the timing of what you will face. And he gets glory as you continue to cling to him, living your life, Coram Deo, in the face of God. 
And secondly, we see that the Lord's servant endures the test with strength and dignity. You see that uh, starting in verse 7? So Satan, and we're going to see in verses 7 and 8 that there's a test of the flesh. There's a test of, of the body of Job. And here's the test. Satan went out from the presence of the Lord, struck Job with loathsome sores uh, from the soles of his foot to the crown of his head. Now, I have had a tweak in my back from time to time that becomes the source of conversation with my wife all day long. It, it's minor. I can do everything. I can still shovel. I can still do what I need to in life. She's tough. I'm a wimp, right? But there's a tweak. Oh, there's a tweak. Well, does it impact you? No, I just got to stand like this. Okay, well, I'll stand like that. All right. Got to take an ibuprofen or something, right? And so there's this tiny little thing in my body that begins or could control if I'm not careful, right? And so here we have Job from the bottom of his foot to the top of his head and undisclosed, and undis we don't know exactly what it is, but we know it's kind of nasty. And I was going to like really get into the words of, of what's described here in verse 7 and 8, but I thought I would just summarize to say, it's just gross. This is a gross thing happening. That's all we really need to know. A painful sickness. So that he was going to a place where he was trying to relieve the pain with broken pottery. And so Satan is at work testing Job in his body. How much will Job suffer in his body? We don't know. Will this increase? Did it increase some and then go? We don't know. How many days? We don't know. You have a diagnosis in your body. And friends, we have had a, a year in our church fellowship of, of great pain in people's bodies. How long? Well, Job doesn't set out to answer the question, how long? He sets out to answer the question, when we have the faith, the, the persecution, when we have the affliction rising, will we continue living faithfully before the face of God? Job passes that test. Every physical malady that we endure is not the consequence of a specific sin. And we see that, that uh, God was incited to um, inflict Job with suffering, even though uh, it, it was not the result of Job's uh, of sin in Job's life, okay? Satan sometimes seeks to use illness to cause us to curse God. The Lord is compassionate and merciful to the sufferer. And can I just tell you, if you're in here today and you're one of the sufferers, and again, I said it earlier, but I want to remind everyone, we're all suffering at some level because we can't make this life heaven. It's not. Heaven is yet to come. In this life, whether we look to the Proverbs, we're born for trouble 
or whether we look at the example of the apostles in the Newer Testament, I'll show him the kind of pain he will have to go through for my name. We understand that, that uh, while we will have relative blessing because we live according to the dictates and commands and, and the uh, promises and precepts of the Lord, that we are going to experience loss and pain and trouble and brokenness and, and decaying and weakening. But we all know that. And so we all experience the, the trouble at some level, right? And so as we experience that, it's just a reminder that sufferer, when you do endure faithfully, there is great meaning and there is great result from your faithful suffering. Coram Deo, in this text, God says to Satan, Do you see the way my servant suffers faithfully before the face of God? Think of how God shows his might and power. Over the course of many hundreds and thousands of years, the story of Job has strengthened so many people because it's a a study in Worst case extremes. But my friend, as you endure pain and sorrow and and trouble in this world, you are a statement to the person that you sit next to and the person that you live life with and the person that you pray with in your life group and the person that you go out to coffee with this week. Maybe not this week. Maybe late this week, I guess. Looks like it's going to be rough this week, doesn't it? You are an example and an encouragement to them as you faithfully endure great suffering in your life. It's an announcement. And in fact, we know that Jesus is the ultimate victor and Jesus' suffering has produced and provided all of the freedom that we need and the forgiveness we need. And yet, as Jesus sings the melody of a mighty anthem, your voice of faithful suffering fills in harmonies that are beautiful and profound for every ear and every eye in this place as you continue to say, in the midst of my suffering, I lift my eyes to God for he is helpful and your song joins the very voice of Jesus and we sing this beautiful song together. And all the while, God and his sovereignty watching what you're going through and saying, saying this, we know this for sure, he has considered his servant, you. Sing the song, my friend. That's not to say complain like I complain when I have a little back tweak, right? There's not more glory in God when we complain at the little things. There's more glory in God, for God when we are faithful through the trouble and through the suffering. O sufferer, in your failing body, you show that the word of God is true. You show the people of God what faithfulness looks like, and you sing that chorus. To God's glory. And so maybe you have suffering in your body. The Lord's servant endures the test of strength and, and integrity. But you see, it's not only in his body, it's also in his flesh. Do you know that we get married to become one flesh? And so not only did Job endure his body, but his wife came to be with him and offer some advice. Now, friends, I've been thinking all week long about what to do with Job's wife. (laughs) 
Job was also thinking about what to do with his wife. Oh boy, his wife says to him, do you still hold fast your integrity? Now, here's what she was saying. After this crazy season of increased suffering, is your grip on living life before the face of God stronger than ever? Are you kidding me? Do you still hold fast your integrity? Listen, friends, Job's wife is included in the story, there's no doubt, as a bad example. There's one commentator, Chrysostom, from hundreds of years ago, who said, Satan had the ability, when he removed Job's children, he could have taken Job's wife too. Don't need a punchline to that. <laughs> Chrysostom's pretty funny guy, right? He finishes it up by saying, but he left Job's wife as a tool to be used. Can I just tell you, I, don't, I, I wouldn't go quite there. I wouldn't go quite there. Let's remind each other some, some truth. Job's wife's life has changed forever in that moment. She's lost everything. She's not only lost the business that presumably she built with Job, she's not only lost all of the wealth, she's not only lost all of her children, but as Job sits with these sores in an ash heap, she's really not sure she isn't losing Job too. She would be completely alone in that case. Now, she's included in the story. It's true. If you see her words, they are the exact words that Job predicted, excuse me, that Satan predicted that Job would say if the blessings were gone. Look down in verse 9. Curse God. Well, isn't that what Satan said Job would do? Curse God if you remove the blessings. And so it's true, she did say those words. Sometimes in a beautiful chorus of faithful song. I remember when I was a, in choir in 12th grade, and it was becoming evident I was not a great choir member at that point. At that point, I knew my career as a choir member was drawing nigh. And so uh, I remember a song we sang, and there were certain parts in the bass line. I, it didn't matter if the strong singer was next to me. I just could not get the note. And there was a note of dissonance, sometimes to the point where I would just drop out at certain notes I couldn't hit. By the way, Proverbs says, uh, to Job's wife even, uh, better to be quiet and thought wise, right? Because when we use our words, sometimes we prove to everybody that we're foolish. And so this would have been a great moment. So if you don't know what to say, maybe say nothing. And that's a great lesson here. But even Job, who again, here's a reminder, he prepared in his days of plenty. He prepared in his days of relative blessing. He went to, before the Lord and worshipped worshipped to the Lord by himself in those days so that when the days of greatest calamity came, 
he responded what he was learning in the days of blessing. You will too. How you respond in your day of great calamity is not some miraculous thing that you flip a switch. It's something you get to one day at a time from the days of blessing. And we ask ourselves in this text, how are we preparing? How are we preparing for the day of trouble? But back to Job's wife. You know, this passage isn't about Job's wife, and I don't think we should make it about her. It's about Job, and here's how he responded to her. Not with exclamation points and anger. Somebody gives you bad advice in a moment. Listen. Sometimes you you find you have to listen to some real hard advice and bad advice, and it often comes at your low point. Hey, get ready for that. Learn from Job here. He didn't freak out. He didn't get angry. He didn't go, there was no one to talk to at this point, but he didn't go talk to people about such bad advice. He just says this to his wife. Hey, um, he, he didn't say, by the way, you're, you're faithless. You're a blasphemer. He says, the, well, let me let him say it. You speak as one of the foolish women would speak. That's all. Calm. Not calling her a blasphemy. Hey, in this moment, he didn't say, well, you're hurting, so. He just said, you're speaking like an unfaithful person. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And now he says something that is so profound. Shall we receive good from God? Shall we not receive evil? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. In chapter 1, he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes. And at the end of chapter 2, he says, the Lord gives good and the Lord gives evil. Friends, the Lord gives good and the Lord gives what we perceive to be evil for chapters for moments in our life. And and Job, in his days of blessing, came to understand that the blessings might go, but the good God would remain. The grace remains, as we learned a couple weeks ago. And so here we have God giving good, and now we have God giving evil. And If you find your place, your your life, in a moment right now where you sense that that God is, is giving you something evil or giving you something that you perceive to be evil, you may not know all of his reasonings why, but you can know that he's the same God who is sovereign over all that you're going through. He is the same God who, would, who uh, sees that you are his servant. He is the same God that has considered and considers you in his heart out of great love for you. Life in this world is not sovereign. And so we do not love our life here more than we love God. We do not think that this, this world is going to be heaven. It's not. We know ahead of us there could be hard days. And that's not to say we are pessimists waiting for shoes to drop. It's been good for a while. Certainly God's going to do something bad to me. We don't live like that. That's not God, right? 
we, we aren't that guy. We realize that God, living according to the dictates of God, living life before the face of God is the goal. It's what God wants for you and he wants and what you want for him. And so as we live that life, Job is showing us that we should accept prosperity as a gift from God, and we call this good. And we should also accept all manner of things that we deem hard or maybe even evil, and sometimes we view it as disaster, yet the Lord can be behind those things and be working in and through those things, and and reminder that it can be used to prove the word of God. It can be used to show and remind Satan of his defeat, which has ultimately happened forever on the cross of Jesus Christ. It can be used to encourage a whole generation of people. Parents, as you endure suffering with patience and faithfully, you are teaching your children whether they live in your house or they do not live in your house any longer. You are showing your children that your faith is real and that you're going to live your life quorum Deo before the face of God. And there is nothing that is going to happen in your life where you're ultimately going to turn to God with a raised fist and curse him. Nothing will put you there. If God removes all the blessings, will you curse him? Friends, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. God does give the good, and he does give what we view to be the evil. And Job did not sin with his lips. Well, guys, uh, the counselors come. And the counselors here in chapter uh, number 2 we don't see a lot of threads of trouble. We are going to see that for the rest of the book of Job, that Job, in his trouble, needs to make distinctions to determine which counselor to listen to. All of that tied back to chapter 1, verse 1, that Job was submitting his life before the Lord so that he would be prepared in the hard day. The arrival of the counselors. Note this in verses 11 through 13, that three counselors come. Uh, One of them, Eliphaz, seems to be the leader. He's a Temanite. And the city of Teman is known in ancient uh, documents as a city known for wisdom. And so here a man comes from the city of wisdom to bring advice. Get ready. When the person comes from the city of wisdom to bring you advice in your great suffering, get ready in that moment. They've come, and they've come well to show him sympathy and to comfort him. They make an appointment, they show up, they are trusted friends, and they really want to help. They sit there for seven days at the end of chapter 2 before anyone says a word. Well, that's a reminder to us, too, of how to be a good counselor, right? Because at first, these guys do start off with some good, good uh, direction in their life. Get ready for the counselors. Counsel yourself in your day of blessing so that you're prepared in your day of hardness. As God examines your life, we don't merely wait for a heavenly well done. God has an estimate of his servants And there is a chorus to be sung. It is finished. Jesus has risen. These songs go up to heaven. They are pleasing to the Lord, encouraging to the saints, announcing to the evil one his certain defeat. 
that God's faithful servants will endure everything in this life, never cursing God with our actions or lips. And if we do, there remains forgiveness and restoration and hope in Christ. Let's stand and be dismissed. Father, we end the service today. We won't be singing a song as we go, but we are singing a song as we go. A song of your faithfulness. A song of hope in you. Lord, help us to live these lives quorum Deo and not to turn on you and come before the face of God with cursings, but instead with blessings. Dismiss us with your blessing now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.